Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome back to the VMTV Rugby Pod. As ever, Matt Williams and Alan Quinlan join me. Exciting times ahead. Matt, straight to you. A couple of days. Must be like a kid at Christmas. Ready for this on Friday night. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's amazing, Stu. It's sort of taken so long and it's come so fast. You know, it's a bit like at Christmas every year. It's, uh, it, it, you know, just a few hours really you're going to see one of the most important games of the World Cup open the tournament, New Zealand versus France up in Paris. The country has been absolutely electrified, the French, I'm talking about France, by the the, uh, the tournament. It is front page on every headline. Uh, our, you know, President Macron has been visiting the French team. The, the teams have been greeted with mass numbers around the cities where they're basing themselves. It's uh, it's certainly got a, a festival, and that's what the pool stages are—a festival of rugby, where the the minnows of the game get to swim with the sharks for a few weeks. But it's also, it, I think, it's also um, showing the the uh, how close uh, the gap has narrowed between maybe the tenth team in the tournament and the top team in the tournament. You know, being in Argentina and, and these teams being successful against the tier one. Traditionally, the tier one teams like England and uh, uh, Australia and France, there, there's a lot of positivity and, and a, a lot of unknown. And I think that's what's making it even more exciting. There is plenty of unknown, Alan. And if we come to you, you know, as we said, one of the biggest games of the tournament right off. But France, the selection of 10, Intermac out, Jalabar, Hastoy, Hastoy, which way do you see it? Um, <clears throat> I think the injuries have, have will obviously be a bit of a dent for for uh, for France um the last time they played in in last November France were very dominant and looked incredibly powerful powerful against New Zealand so it'll be interesting to see how New Zealand react after what happened them a few weeks ago on Twickenham against South Africa um it's an intriguing game I keep saying this to everybody I meet you cannot um you just cannot write off an all black team I think at any stage I think they they just have that in their DNA. They know how to, to kind of get going for big games. And I think they'll have... Obviously, it's not ideal. I think they were min- missing Shannon Fritzell and, and Brody Retallick, um for that game in Twickenham. They made a lot of mistakes. Their discipline was really poor. So I think there's, there's some fixes there for them. There's some concerns, of course, but... You know, Irish people keep asking, oh, would you prefer France or, or New Zealand in a quarterfinal? If you get there, I keep saying if you get there, because the Scots could be um, rubbing their hands together with all this talk of South Africa and, and, and Ireland coming out of that group. Scotland are going to have a big say in that. But, you know, I just dare and think that you'd, you'd say, well, we choose a New Zealand side given their history, their culture, their X-factor players that they have. You know, they have players on that side who can do special things if they're under pressure. They can unleash a defence, they can do magical stuff. So, um, their form hasn't been, 
you know, I think they showed glimpses in the in the summer in the rugby championship of what they can do and what they're capable of, and probably a little bit of a reminder for themselves that they're still a very very good side. Um, but you probably think France all that momentum, and it's really interesting. Matt is living over there, but how how will France deal with the pressure? Because everybody in France, I think, is is really believing that this is this is all set up for them. They're a very powerful side. They're they've some wonderful world class players, some of the best players in their positions in the world, and um, so it'll be incredibly exciting. Everybody's looking forward to that opening. Um, it should be a real cracker. Yeah, it certainly should. If we bring it back to home in Ireland, they've arrived in turn. What a welcome they got. 12,000 people. Let's hear now from Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, <clears throat> since we've arrived, uh, the people in tour have been uh, have been unbelievable. How they've set up the hotel, how they've looked after us. So uh, we're very happy to be here and um, do a bit of a, tr a session in front of them. The, the, the people of tours and our management have put a an incredible amount of work into getting the the training facilities to be to be really really top class which is what they are and um, which is the most important the hotel obviously being good uh, with good food etc so everything's been done for us and um no excuses now yeah oh it's fantastic so obviously there's a like johnny said there's a lot of work that goes into it so in in two years in the planning he starts off on a recce and uh, you've got to make a choice and and by far and away uh, we felt as a management that the, the, the people of the city of Tours wanted us to be here. And when somebody wants you and, uh, and they, they, they prove that with their actions, then uh, the relationships build. So um, we are delighted how we've been treated so far um, from, from the people of Tours and the hotel, etc. So, uh, yeah, it's a nice start getting into the, getting into the country also. Um, this is what World, World Cups are all about, making sure that you, you understand what it's all about on the ground and feel the atmosphere of the people. Alan, there you go. You've had the outcome of having maybe a bad experience at a certain location in a World Cup, so how important Ireland get it right. And they seem to have 12,000 there in tour, electric, and such a good welcome for them. Yeah, it was special for them. And I think, um, I you know, when I saw that during the week, I thought, God, what would it have been like for, for if this World Cup was in Ireland? for the All Blacks to be based in Galway and kind of part of a local community and the reaction Irish people would have had or somebody down in West Cork or, um, you know, somebody in Monaghan. Teams all over the country would have been, it would have been special. It brought back the memories of the, the, the what could have been for us. But um, he's exactly right. When you go into, I think the first thing you want to do as any team is you want to respect the, the culture and the local people and, they're obviously incredibly excited, you know, even in the schools and the local businesses that they have an international team. They have the world number one ranked team in the world. Secretly, all those French people that want, want Ireland to do well up to a certain point, but certainly not to beat France and for France to win the World Cup. But it's special. And, um, you know, people in France love their rugby. It's it's a religion there. It's part of their lives and uh, it's part of their everyday lives. And, um, you know, it's very exciting for them. For you know, we were in Bordeaux in two thousand and seven, and Bordeaux is a beautiful city, but we were in in, in an industrial estate, very much isolated from from any sort of cafes or restaurants or, and it's lovely as a player. You know, you come back, you you, you after training, you have your lunch, you know, to be able to go out and have a coffee and walk around and kind of not 
do anything spectacular. You're not a tourist. You can't go and have a couple of beers in the afternoon or anything like that. But it's just nice that, you know, on Wednesday, Wednesdays are usually a down day. People are kind of allowed to go out for a meal themselves that evening. So players go out in different groups and they organise their own stuff. It wasn't, it was kind of tricky to to manoeuvre around. We were a little bit outside the, the centre of, of Bordeaux. It was a kind of a mishap as well because the original hotel that we were supposed to stay in was pretty much city centre and um, it wasn't ready. They were doing some renovation. So it was a kind of a late change. We had issues with the food then as well, which I, I couldn't imagine can happen nowadays. And it isn't that rugby players, professional rugby players want any sort of special food, but it's just the quantities, the quality, the types of healthy food, the way it's prepared, you know, breasted chicken being grilled rather than fried or deep fried stuff, you know, all that kind of thing. So we encountered a lot of deep fried stuff and the food was a problem. So, the, you know, they quickly improvised and brought in somebody to change the whole kind of food. The hotel were very good themselves. And to be fair to them at the time, they were kind of landed with us. It was a big piece of business for them, but the smaller, finer details were kind of lost that, that were needed. Um, it wasn't an excuse, but it does make it have an effect, you know what I mean? Just to kind of a bit of vibrancy and being in a good place. Even if you're outside in the countryside, you know, the quality of the hotel and the facilities and stuff like that. So it wasn't, um, rooms were perfect, all that kind of stuff, but it was just, it, it was a factor. And you're a little bit away from, you know, integrating yourself, if you like. And, um, the team did not play well. There was other issues there around the preparation and um, probably overtraining a little bit that summer. And um, that's really going to be the key. I keep saying it to anyone I talk to, you know, if you do well at a World Cup, your prep has been spot on. If you fail, you start to look into these things. And we had issues when we did reviews after that World Cup. One of the things that kind of kept jumping out is we were putting on the boots a lot. Um, and it looked, we looked a little bit tired. One thing I saw Paul O'Connell speaking about, and he was up in the press this week, and we didn't really have it. We had GPSs, but like it was sporadically an odd player here and there would be would have a GPS on. I don't even know if we had a, num a number to cover the team, but we weren't monitored like that. Um, the weight, uh, the hydration, urine samples, all that kind of stuff were taken to see your hydration. But the way they can monitor the workload now with the GPS stuff, is superb so you can track that stuff and you can you can avoid overtraining and um because players like the thing with that 2007 world cup is nobody really went to the coaches and said oh god we don't want to train today we had we taught training more and more and more was better and better and better if you like but i just when you look back at it i think if you're putting on your rugby boots five days in the week of a match um it's a lot. We ended up going out on Wednesdays, which was the, the off day. And you know, this is a co coach match, Matt. Sometimes you have to pull the players back a little bit. We were still stuck in. We've got to train more. The more we train, the better we're going to be. So on Wednesday was supposed to be a day off. So that's your rest, recovery, massage, ice baths. Go for a little ramble. Go for your coffee. Go for lunch. Change the picture a little bit in your mindset. We would end up going doing lineouts, And rather than doing them at the hotel, because we didn't have a grass area, it was all concrete everywhere outside. Um, we'd end up getting the bus back to the training ground, which was about a 25 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on traffic. So you kind of, 
your 45 minutes kind of getting to the ground, getting off the bus, starting. Then we were supposed to do half an hour lineouts, non really comp contact, a little bit of competitiveness and um, with the the player, the non playing group. Those lineout sessions turned into an hour, an hour and a half, full on physical mauling. Uh, got quite heated so we probably had three hours out of the day off dedicated to that piece for a number a couple of weeks you know so it was little things like that that we probably as players in the group probably didn't realize at the time um that whole summer we were we went around ireland did rugby camps and and we were stationed in belfast and galway limerick dublin and there was a lot of contact there was a lot of heavy training um and nobody complained at the time because we all wanted to make a World Cup squad and we, we knew that there was there was a group that was left home from Argentina that was the starting team. Um, so anyone else, you know, were, were trying to make an impression. So um, I'm sure they've, they've left North Stone really unturned and it's nice for them to be in a, a place where they'll get lots of support for a couple of weeks anyway. Matt, on Quinlan Industrial Street, you heard it here. If we bring it back to Saturday against Romania and Bordeaux, a few injuries, Dan Shane, Jack Conan, David Kilcoyne. What team would you like Andy Farrell to play and which way do you see it, Matt? You know, do you go full strength or do you mix and match? Great, great dilemma to have for Andy Farrell, isn't it? So many talented players. Um, who do you leave out? How do you structure it? Um, and, and I think this is sort of related to what Quinny said, because the principle that Alan's getting at, which is like a mantra in coaching, you can't overtrain, you can only under-recover. So if you're not doing all the recovery work, you can't perform on the Saturdays. And we've got to say this Irish team, one of the things that's, that's really set them apart from other nations is how fast they start. They start really well. So starting a tournament really well is exactly the same because um, it's a guy called Rick Charlesworth, who was a, a genius uh, Australian Olympian in hockey, and he became a hockey coach. He was, he was an underachiever. He was a doctor. He was international cricket open the batting for Australia, and was a federal member of parliament. You know, one of these guys that just just wastes his life. You know, uh, he, he was. An, I always remember him talking about how in a tournament, which hockey plays a lot, Olympic games and World Championships, you've got to get energy along the way. And I think if we looked at Allen's World Cup in 2007, they were not getting energy from those games, you know, against Namibia and Georgia that they should have walloped and got energy out of. So, so there is a selection dilemma that that they have to weigh up, knowing that they've got South Africa and Scotland they, that uh, later in, in their pool games, and they they also know that Tonga are going to be no easy boots. Then there's the added dilemma that Johnny Sexton hasn't played since the the um, Grand Slam winning game in, at the Aviva in, in uh, March. So Sexton will play. That's that's what I, everyone would assume. And then I would think they look across and do exactly what Alan said, looked at the the uh, GPS uh, readings and saying, well, by the end of the Tongan game, we want this group of players to have at this amount of time playing time. And I think this group is so scientifically driven with Jason Cowman in there and they are at the absolute peak of uh, physical conditioning in world rugby that that's what we'll see. So if I was going to say to you, will Tyburn play, will Furlong play, you, you know, I, I don't think that's the, the issue. I think they will all play across the two games 
to bring them up to a point where they'll, they will then know, do they want to beat South Africa or lose to South Africa? I know, I know, I know. I know it's a conspiracy. I'm just saying they're going to be, they're going to have that. They may very well say, we're going to beat both South Africa and Scotland. We're going to finish first. That might be their goal. I don't know. But, but there is no doubt Sexton starts and we will see a mixture of the starting team and the others. And I, I, with great respect to Romania, with great respect to Romania, um, they, on results, not on opinion, on results, uh, they were just beaten by the States and they, they've lost to Italy in a number of teams. They're the weakest team in the pool. So th this, this might be a time where the weaker team comes out rather than against the Tongans. So, so I think within those parameters, that's the type of team we can expect. Alan, do you want to pick up off the back of that? Do you see a mixture of the um, starting 23? You know, it's first against 19th in the world. Is this a chance to give the so-called wider squad a crack or is it not like that at all? Do you know, when Andy Farrell announces his team tomorrow, I'm going to say that's the right team to pick because he, <laughs> he'll have reasoning behind that, i.e., these guys, like Matt said, um, they've showed a sharpness in training. They're ready to go. He may not use them against Tonga. They may come back against Scotland. They, they, they'll have looked at everything. But right, <laughs> okay, what players? What, what you think what will time? start? Um, well, I think Johnny Sexton has to start. Um, really, when I think about this, you know, when I went to World Cup in '03, we we kind of. Um, Bit of mixing and matching in in Romania and Namibia turned out perfect. Two two good big wins. Then we went to Argentina, which was the crunch game. We won that game just briefly. We should have beaten Australia then in round four. Uh, I think Drico, um, am I right? There was a try disallowed that he was nearly in touch. Anyway, sixteen fifteen to Australia. But I remember, I think it at World Cup, and I think God, that was a great build up. Same coach, a lot of the same group. Uh, obviously change a little bit in 07 um, so I don't know do you go with your strongest hand do you kind of go well we, we get a big win here build up a points difference you cannot Tonga is going to be a step up and they're going to be really dangerous they'll have some players who can have been in the top top stage with the All Blacks the five or six ex-All Blacks players they'll have that physical power they'll have that explosiveness so You've got to get the, the balance right for that. So what we're saying is we you know we expect a convincing win for Ireland. Will we, will it the, the question I would ask here is could this group come down to points difference? Could there be an issue over points difference at the end of it? I think three wins gets you gets you there, you know, we're can Scotland do something against South Africa and really upset things in, in at the weekend in their first game? I don't know. But I think I have a feeling there'll be a bit of a mix and match to this game. Initially, I thought it's full strength, mix and match a little bit against Tonga, but it's too risky to do that. I think it's about getting probably seven or eight starters out at the weekend with seven or eight guys who are not starters. Um... And the same for Tonga. It's a mix and match. And having safety on the bench that you have real experience. We saw it against Samoa and Bayonne where O'Mahony comes on. Uh, James Ryan comes on where they can problem solve. I.e. the lineup was struggling. They made a real kind of difference. So, Because um, if you go full strength this week and you pick the perceived starting team that we all think that we could all name the starting Irish team now if everyone's fit and available. I know Conan is out. Um 
Sheehan and Kilcoyne. Kilcoyne. So Sheehan and Conan for me are, you know, Sheehan is a starter. Um, I don't think they're risking him. We saw shots yesterday of him kicking a ball around the field. If he had any problems, he wouldn't be kind of cross doing cross field kicks and bouncing around the place. I'm sure it's a case of they'll be involved against Tonga. So I probably think now, if you ask me to pick an Irish team now, if I was just picking it on my own, I'd probably go 50-50 with, um, to make sure there's enough of game time because Tonga, if you kind of put out the second group against Tonga, um, it's risky. Um, so a mix and match, I think. And, and it's just, rather than involvement in the match, I think it's minutes. So it's a number culmination of a number of minutes between one and two for South Africa. At some point in the two games, and I don't know what you think here, Matt, as a coach, the starting team for South Africa is going to have to have 30, 40 minutes together. Do you know what I mean? So that they can build. It's grand holding all this stuff back and saying, well, we're all fit and well. But it's just to sharpen up on that little bit of cohesion. So I think it'll be mix and match for both games. Matt, just on that, coming to you, 5.30 on Saturday evening in Bordeaux, what's a good outcome for Ireland? Well, let's say the Queenie's spoken a lot of sense there about what's, what's needed at the end of the pool games to guarantee qualification. Um, so let's, let's start with the obvious. You want a W and not an L. Now that's going to happen. Uh, you, want, you want to score four tries. You want to definitely be getting, you know, keeping that that margin, that differential as much as as wide as possible in scoring points, um, and and then that's also going to you, you you might hope that Scotland holds South Africa to a low score. That even you know we we and again I agree with Quinny. I think we've got to be really careful not to write Scotland off in this process. They played very very well against France in two uh, the two warm up games. Uh, instead, the France with a full French team out. They, they really came back with, with a wet sail and were, were quite strong. So let's not write them off at all. But you want a good win with good points scored and exactly what Alan said, you want minutes, good quality minutes under the belt of the players that you will need in the big games. So this is, this is and I think the other thing that backs up what Alan has said, when Ireland have made complete team changes, in November internationals, the team hasn't performed, it hasn't played well, and they've brought lesser opponents into the game. So I actually think those days are over. I think the mix and match is what we'll see. And I think that's correct. And I think it'll be balanced out on the, on the science of it. And let's not forget on the combinations. There'll be many combinations. So you may see, see Gibson Park start with, with uh, uh, Sexton to get the combination going you may very well see the bench front rows start. So they've got a combination because they'll be ending matches with that front row on the field. So there's all these little things, that, as Alan said, who, Andy Farrell have all this war gamed out, as we say, every scenario played out. What will be the team of people? Let's work backwards. What, what's our perfect scenarios? And they will know now well and truly who, who is going to be selected for these two games. And they will know the result they want. As I said, if it was me, um, you get the whip W, you get every 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 point and every competition point that's available to you, and then you put your foot on the accelerator and get your forward against as high as you can. Now, the other thing to think, it is going to be a very, very, well, forecast is a very, very hot day. And I can tell you, France is in a, 
heat wave. Um, it was cooler last week, but it was very, very hot, 36, 37 degrees right across the country. The Romanians are going to struggle with that because we have to assume their, their um, level of physical conditioning is not like uh, the Irish, which are the best in the world, or close to equal with the best in the world. So the points available in that last 20 minutes with a good, solid performance from the bench are vast. And, and I think that's what, what Ireland will be looking for. And with, again, without being disrespectful to the Romanians, um, that, that's the way they plan the game. Because all these games, everyone, this is the biggest game in the lives of these Romanian players. So the Irish team will come and go, well, we're just going to get through Romania before we get to top. Well, this is a stepping stone. To the Romanians running on and playing against number one in the world, this is the biggest game in their life. So they are going to give every iota and every atom in their body to that performance. So, you know, I expect them to be to be really competitive for a opening period of that game. It doesn't mean they're going to be scoring tries or anything, but, man, they're not going to quit. So we, we've got to keep all that in the balance as well, I think, as we go through this uh, these pool stages. That's exactly what the Romanian coach said, actually, Matt. They can't wait to take on Ireland, number one in the world. What an yeah. opportunity for these guys. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But you both touched on Scotland there. Somewhere in a room is Gregor Townsend and Finn Russell and the team just thinking, this is great. Oh, everyone's just chatting about Aaron Safra. We've got so-called no, nothing think, to lose. I think or how- every, everybody, they'll try and work off that angle, of course. And if I was a Scottish player or a Scottish coach, I'd be saying, well... The perception is we're we're done for here in this group. Um, so you try and work, find a little bit of uh, something to make you a bit angry and narky. They'll they'll have been talking about this since the draw happened. Um, I, for one, and I know most people have not forgotten Scotland here. I've kept mentioning Scotland, trying to not trying to downplay it, but like. Scotland could cause South Africa serious problems. I think they were, you know, if we don't beat Scotland, we don't deserve to, you know, it'll be, it'll be so incredibly disappointing from where we've been. But you're not guaranteed anything in sport. On paper, you know, like we're 62 point better team than Romania for Saturday, but you just never know how this pans out. Um, this team is very strong mentally, Ireland, and I think they can cope with the pressure. And we'll probably talk a little bit about that in a while. But for Scotland, it's a it's it's a kind of um, it's a bit of a monster chip on your shoulder type scenario, Matt. I would suggest, and we we loved that for many years when I played. God be good to Axel. Um, you know he, Axel would say, well, it's no harm to have a chip on both shoulders sometimes, and uh, Scotland will feel a little bit backed into a corner here to say. 
and it energizes you it gives you that little bit of narkiness and that edge that we're we're being written off here we've no chance um so it doesn't always play out the way it should be scotland are dangerous side and if south africa um or ireland underestimate and anyway i i don't think they will they're not stupid enough to do that um but he'll try and play off that gregor Townsend. some really good players and we keep saying the same thing every time we talk about Scotland. If Finn Russell gets enough of quality ball, <laughs> and if he's on song, he can he can come up with that magical play that can can do it for him, you know. So, um, you know, Ireland are in a strong place, but Scotland are they're sitting just in behind nicely, and I think they'll be loving that people are, are suggesting that they're 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 not going to get out of the pool. Matt, two podcasts in. Two words, Finn Russell. Talk to me. Surely this is his time in France. Well, it's it's you know if they take if they do take uh, a leaf out of Quinny and Axel's book, they when when those boys when you played against those boys, they had a, several chips on every shoulder in the team, <laughs> and they were always such a great challenge and such fun to play against, and such good men after the game. You know that that you just couldn't help but respect them and grow. You know, end up actually really liking them and find them great company. And you know, you got to say the Scots are growing into the same same thing. We had we had that thing. If we go back to Finn, Finn and Gregor had this problem. You know, they all had beers and pints, and it was in some ways a storm in a teacup. In some ways, it was childish and immature. On you know, and and it put Gregor in a terrible position. Finn was captain for that that game. Against uh, against France in Murrayfield, they won, and he played really, really well. As did, and here is the key: as did the Scottish pack, and they've got options in that Scottish pack now. They've got some depth. They've got some guys on the bench that are are weaknesses when they come on. They're now really holding their own, and that French pack was huge, and they held them. And what Finn does really well, which will really trouble the South Africans, is his ability to get the ball to the sideline really quickly, either through passing or through just a beautiful kicking game he possesses. Those crossfield kicks that land on the sideline to Van der Merwe or, or a, a, any of the other wingers, depending who they pick on the other wing, Van der Merwe will be on one wing, is, is superb. And that will trouble the South Africans because the South Africans condense their defensive line, leave a lot of space, but they come up really hard. And Finn can get the ball there and that will trouble the South Africans. If their forwards, can provide the platform. Just one more, Alan, on Scotland, South Africa. Do you expect the only way Scotland can beat them if they do or where to do is to go wide, wide? Yeah, and I think they're pretty good at that. They showed us in the warm-up games. They, um, I think, obviously, against France in the third warm-up game, they were a good bit behind. Looked like the game was well out of their reach and their response was superb. Um, they're very dangerous. So if you stand off Scotland a lot at all and... I'll give them space and time. They've they've some brilliant players who can really hurt you. So, uh, Tupelo, you Jones in the centre, very creative as well. Really good wingers. Blair Kinghorn is kind of slotted into that full back position. Very elusive runner as well. So, um, very dangerous backline. And but you know, the thing for Scotland is uh, um, you know and. Against South Africa, every single team has got to get their set piece right and and stop them using their their weapon of their maul and their scrum to really punish you and hurt you. 
Uh, one of the things against New Zealand a couple of weeks ago, and we hear a bit about it now, is the entries, allowing easy entries into your 22. And that comes on the back of giving away some silly penalties where the 10 just steps up and he bangs it into the inside your 22. South Africa loved that. So you've got to be tried to be shrewd and not... It's easier said than done. You've got to match their power as well and physicality. So it's, it's interesting. I think Scotland will be really, really determined to have a good World Cup. You know, Japan was a big disappointment for them as well. And um, they're dangerous. And uh, they have a little bit of an edge about it. Like I said, it's it's even the chip in the shoulder thing. You know, it's, it's an edge. It's people riding them off. And it does help teams at times. So... Um, for them, they'll hope they can start well on Sunday in Marseille against a, a very powerful South African side. Another big game, Matt. England-Argentina. England without Owen Farrell. Steve Borthwick still saying this week, you know, they're on making good progress. Maybe you see it that I don't. But are we getting to a stage now, like if England were to beat Argentina, like it's a great day to say the obvious, of course it's a good day, but like are they even, like are they favourites anymore or are Argentina well favourites? I don't think England favourites. I think it's a very close-run game. Um, Argentina can play very well. They're, they're, you know, if, if you put Scotland, Australia and Argentina together and they had to play each other, look, it, they, they are also inconsistent but so evenly matched. So Argentina defeated England and Twickenham last year. They've beaten New Zealand and Australia in the last 12 months, or probably 15 months now. So Argentina are very capable. Czechs, Michael Checker is their coach with Flivak Konopony, and you know, has really got them in a good place. They've got their defence sorted out, but still at times they fall apart. So, you know, against South Africa in, uh, in Argentina, they played very poorly. Their defence was poor. They then go to Ellis Park. I thought they'd get a hiding and they just lost. So, uh, and of course, they beat the Wallabies. So, so what does all that mean? Uh, if Argentina turn up, they can win this game, 100%, 100%. And most of that is down to, uh, the, the, you know, I've got no other term but horrid play we're seeing from England. The only thing I can say about why England should win is... I'm just saying they can't play any worse than they've been playing. I mean, they've just been exceptionally poor, like uh, dysfunctional. Um, uh, you know, everyone was criticising uh, a 40, George Ford, for, for kicking the ball against Ireland. And he had no one outside him. He had no shape, no attacking shape outside him to, to say, we, we can take the ball forward by running. He just didn't have it. It was pathetic. Their defensive system was shambolic. So unless they get on top of those things, Argentina will beat them. You know, probably if we're just talking about what evidence we've been presented with over the last 12 months, and we come back to Quinney's, one of Quinney's initial statements, which is totally correct. If you're going well in a World Cup, it's to do with your preparation. That's why, you know, I've got a little quote written down here, um, you know, by a guy called Joseph Addison. We can't guarantee success. Uh, we can't guarantee success if we do if, by doing something better, but we can deserve it by what we do. So, in other words, you, you deserve what you get. And 
England are deserving what they get. And that's why we're saying Ireland have got a shot at this World Cup. Because of what they've done the last 15 months, their preparation, what they've done their last 15 months is allowing us to say they got a good shot at this. They got a really good shot. Now, it's going to, we all know it's going to come down to a quarterfinal, but they've got a great shot at this. We look at England against Argentina or even to win at a semi-final stage, and you're saying, well, it's highly doubtful because your last 12 months has been shocking. And, and they've only got themselves to blame for that. Um, I, I, I feel for Borthwick, I think he's been given a, a poison chalice. Having said that, uh, we're not seeing any progress or changes in the structure of that team uh, to give us any, any hope that, that they can come out. Now, uh, Stuart, you were mentioning that there's, there's talk, Marcus Smith may even start at fullback. Now, if that's the case, Marcus Smith's a talented young man. Why have we not seen that in the past? So the idea is if you put, you, you play what New Zealand do, they play Richard Monger at 10 and they play Barrett, Bowden Barrett at 15. There's your two 10s on the field. We saw Australia do it with Kirby Beale a couple of years ago. He played Kirby Beale on the field and they had success. There's a lot of merit to that, but you don't do it in the first round of the World Cup against Argentina when you haven't done it for the last 12 months. So yeah, look, and, and part of me, part of me too wants to see Check do well. I really, I really mean that. You know, the Argentinians have been poorly treated for decades by world rugby. They're in the championship now, but it's tough for them. And they're in a position where they, they as we said, they, they are deserving to win. And I, I think they, uh, I think they'll have uh, too much for England, who have been really, really poor. You know, how Mario Otaje, who was one of the greatest second rowers I've seen in my life a few years ago, is playing to the level to the low level he is at now, I think personifies where, where the English camp is. Alan, your thoughts on the Marcus Smith situation? I think it actually might be if he comes off the bench, it would be at fullback is the correct thing they were saying this week. And they asked him, I think it was a couple of days ago or weeks ago, have you ever played fullback? And he goes, no, but I'd love to. Jesus. But, uh, well, you know, I'm obviously taking that and hopefully that is correct. But um, more so coming into a World Cup, whether it's off the bench or a start going in at 15, it'd be very tricky when, in my opinion, he's a very good 10. Um, he is, yeah, he's very talented, and if they're considering doing something like that, you 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 can do it if if um, um, if needs be that somebody gets injured and you've got to slot somebody in there. You just got to make 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 do if there's a couple of backs injured or something like that. But I suppose Daly and Watson, yeah, are struggling, uh, yeah, yeah, they are. are. So yeah. look, he he's an option there. They've their squad names, so I think he's a talented player, um, and he's probably capable of doing that. But you know they've England have been all over the shop really, and this kind of sums up where they're at. They're kind of um, I don't I think their preparation has been really poor. The the team, the players, the talent they have, they should be in a better position. So um, they're they're at a pretty low ebb, and and Matt said it there, which is, makes perfect sense. I think can we see them any poor? Who who knows? Um, I just think Argentina play with a ferocity and a skill set and a pace and a tempo that um, it's going to be difficult for England. England really need to, their, the last couple of weeks, I think, of their training, I think if they can fix some of the issues, yes, they're very well capable of winning. But um, And can Marcus Smith as a footballer go in at full back? Yes, he can. But if if you're Nicolas Sanchez, then what are you doing? Um, are you going to be peppering high balls on him and, and asking those sort of questions? We saw Jordan Larmer 
played full back a few times, incredibly talented footballer, but some of the aerial stuff didn't suit him when he played. Robbie Henshaw went back there. So it's a very precarious position. And if you have a good 10 in the opposition team, they can start exposing you there. From a running point of view, from a passing, from an attacking point of view, yes, he could be very dangerous. But I'd be worried about that if it happened. As Matt answers a phone call there from the South African press. Matt, um, what as, as an overall um, tournament, what are you most looking forward to see, teams or players-wise, throughout the next two months? It's true, I love World Cups. I love World Cups because they're a festival of our game. Um, they sort of remind us of the global reach of the game. You know, the, the emergence of um, the South American countries at this World Cup, no, no Canada, no USA, which have, you know, sort of been the traditional American rugby countries. So you're seeing Uruguay coming forward, you know, and, and that's, that's fantastic for the game. Uh, and, and so you've got this first part that, that is the festival, is the joy. And, you know, there's, there's 40,000 Australians coming to France. And this is what we forget. This is big business for, for France. It's, it's, like, it's like the, the uh, Tour de France, the cycling Tour de France on steroids. There's tens of thousands of people coming from all over the globe. The South Africans are flying in and out in the weekends in their tens of thousands. So that festival part, I love. I really enjoy it. You, you, and there's a lot of laughs in the pool stages. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of what rugby used to be, a lot of giggles, a lot of smiles, a lot of camaraderie, and as a, the French call it, uh, the troisième temps, the third half. You know, that, that's, that used to be when you go, go to the bars and have a drink when you were amateurs. But all that happens, all the people coming out afterwards, having drinks, seeing each other, all that in the festival. And then amongst that is this incredible, um, how do I say it, this unique situation where the top 10 teams of the world are all beating each other. And I've never seen that in my lifetime. The top three or four were always untouchable. But, but as a, we, we just spoke about Argentina, Argentina have beaten New Zealand, Australia and South Africa in the last 12 months. Uh, you know, Fiji beating England at Twickenham. We're, we're just seeing this, and, and, and of course, in, in amongst that, the emergence of Ireland as a true world power. Well, they've all, like for probably 20 years, we, we, we've known Ireland of, of there or thereabouts, but they've been inconsistent as Alan just spoke about in 2007 and 2003, there's been close runs. But Ireland's emergence as a true world power uh, makes all of that combined, I'm looking forward to it. Like there's every weekend, so you go through the games, like every weekend, there's something great to look forward to. And the opening game is a great game. Argentina versus versus England is an absolutely fascinating fixture. And then, of course, we get to see Ireland play on, on the Saturday. And we're televising it. We know how, how privileged are, are, are we. So, you know, I've been covering, I attended a few World Cups, and then I've been covering them since since 2007. And this, to me, is, is a really, really unique um, World Cup for all those reasons. It's pretty unique. I don't want to look at player of the tournament or any of that because it's too obvious to punt. But more... Surprise player, maybe, or a surprise team, actually. Who do you think, maybe? Surprise all... team would yeah. probably, not as surprising as uh, after what they did in Twickenham, but I think Fiji are going to be very, very exciting to watch. I think I remember them in Japan. They ran Wales quite close, and Australia in, in Japan. They're, 
you know, I always said this about the Pacific teams. If they get fit, if they get a structure, they have this just incredible talent and physicality and power and pace and skill set. If they can get the structures right, the simple fundamental parts of the game right, well then, the other stuff is just comes natural to them. Run with the ball, uh, go over people, go around people, offload. Fiji showed us in Twickenham pace, um, skill set, incredible. They, you know, Wales Fiji on Sunday is a game that, as you say, that is incredibly tricky for Wales. I think the one thing about Wales, um, and I know from being coached by Gatti and his approach to pre seasons, they beasted themselves in in pre season. So um, they'll be in good shape. Wales, they'll be fit, and he wants to play with a tempo, and he knows he'll know damn well that this Fiji game is going to be very dangerous. It's actually quite helpful for them that they beat England because it just heightens their awareness around what Fiji can do. So they're a team I'm looking forward to. You know, the following Sunday, Fiji play Australia. Um, again, we'll get there next week. We'll get there. A, but you know, they're a team I, I I really look forward to watching. My best World Cup memory from working at a World Cup was being um, uh, was was Uruguay Fiji in two thousand and nineteen uh, and Kamishi, northern Japan, where the tsunami had hit and caused incredible devastation, wiped out a whole town practically. Um, they rebuilt some of it. Um, the stadium was right beside the water. It was a kind of an eerie feeling to the whole situation. What happened with a tsunami, the tsunami that hit there? Um, and Uruguay beat Fiji, and it was incredible. It was just incredible to be there to see the joy and the 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 underdog winning in that situation. Fiji didn't obviously enjoy it, but I hope we see. Um, you know, we don't see kind of hundred points to nil results here there's a few kind of games that that could go awry for for the underdogs and the tier two nations so hopefully we don't see that and, and we see one or two upsets yeah upsets are great matt time for predictions but we'll stick to three or four matches so because i'm gonna say hopefully you think ireland will win to say the obvious then argentina england wales fiji argentina. and south africa argentina. scotland Ooh, uh, they're, they're tough ones aren't they argentina I, I think we'll win that game on all the evidence. You've got to say on evidence too, the Springboks will win that game. Although I, I really I really want the Scots to win. I, I want them to turn up and really have a go because I, I think that's really important. I know how important it is for the Scottish people. Um, but I do, on, on evidence, I have to say I think Scotland will win. Look, Fiji, I, 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 just on Alan's point, Fiji, a lot of Fijian players are playing in Europe and the other guys have been in Super Rugby for a couple of years. That has helped them enormously. They have come forward in leaps and bounds. I know for a fact because the Fijian team based themselves during COVID at a place called Lennox Head in northern uh, New South Wales. Absolutely beautiful, just near Byron Bay that you guys might know, just south of Byron. If you're going to stay isolated in Australia during COVID, you might as well stay there. And they, I, I spoke to the people involved in their, their um, extended staff. They are definitely targeting Wales and they are definitely targeting, targeting Australia. They want to win those games to make a statement that they are on the world stage now as a 15 aside nation. So this is going to be a fascinating fixture. If Wales put out anything below their top 15, Fiji will win. I don't know the Welsh side at this stage. But let me say that if Wales put out their top 15, 
It's still going to be really hard for them. But I think Fiji can win if they don't. So I'm not sitting on the fence there. I'm having it both ways. <laughs> You're not allowed that. And Alan, your results, your predictions for Wh results? Which ones do you want to start with? <laughs> Where have you been? Ireland, Sorry. obviously. Yeah, I think Ireland yeah. win convincingly. So, um, South Africa, Scotland, England, Argentina and Wales, Fiji. Yeah, South Africa, I think, will be too strong for Scotland. Um, I think England uh, might. It, it probably defies logic given um, Argentina or probably my head would say Argentina. I just have a feeling England might might get some stuff right this weekend and could could nick that one. It'll be tight. Um, if they nick that one, sorry to butt in, they could well get the semi-final. It's a joke. England play Argentina, they play Japan, <clears throat> they play Chile and they play Samoa. We love that, Matt, as an Irish team, but uh, yeah, that's the way it is. It is what it is, so look. Um, and I think Wales, even though I'm really looking forward to seeing Fiji, I think Wales might um, might get a right this weekend against Fiji and... and um, have a structure and a plan to try and starve them of possession and, and get their defence right uh, and maybe Fiji. Well, what an opening weekend it's going to be. All starts in Virgin Media on Saturday, half 11. Italy take on Namibia and then, of course, it's Ireland against Romania. My thanks as ever to Matt now. Cheers. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Stuart.